Hi guys and welcome to the On The Whistle podcast. I'm your host Zayn Nabi. As always, I have Courtney Fries, the former PSL winner, the best under 45 player, this side of the equator in Essex. How are you doing, my brother? Zayn, I'm in good form. Uh, I'm running uh, at a good pace at the moment. Um, three kilometers, I'm doing it in um, 11 and a half minutes. That's better than uh, when you're playing for Rangers. I'm, I'm flying at the moment. I'm trying to get the Christmas weight off. I'm, I'm ready. My preseason has started. <laughs> you look fantastic. And listen, we can't wait to get the bride fired up today. We are speaking to the assistant sporting director, at Sundowns, Ryan Hunt. Ryan, welcome to the pod. You are at a club that has sent the benchmark in South Africa. Seven out of the nine league titles reside with Sundowns. You have many players who have gone all around the world, all over the continent and been successful. You guys are the benchmark. You guys are the domineering force. You guys are the juggernaut. So we're so pleased to have you on the pod. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you, and uh, appreciate the kind words about the club. Um, that is kind of our ambition, you know, we, we do aim to be the, the best club in Africa, um, you know, so we kind of look outside of South Africa, we be trying to compete consistently with Al-Akhli, Zamalek, you know, TP Mazembe, that is definitely our focus within the club, and the mantra of the club is, is to be the best club in Africa, so I appreciate the kind words. No worries, and listen, you're... Sundowns do have a sporting director. That role is currently occupied by Fleming Berg. Um, he used to be a Chelsea scout. He was also the head of football development at the Danish Football Associations before he took up this role in 2022 at Sundowns. Um, I'm interested. Could you explain how you work with Fleming and give the audience a broad overview of your role at the club? Um, so, yeah, just to start with Fleming, I mean, he is a... He, he's a very intelligent person within football. Um, I'm learning a lot from him. He he understands the game at a level that I've kind of never seen before. Um, and not just specifically on the field, off the field as well. You know, he, he understands, you know, a lot. And um, kind of the way I work with him is obviously he he assigns, you know, some tasks to me. Um, there's, there's obviously a lot of roles you know, within a sporting director, you know, you have to control the youth academy and how you know the coaches work. You have to, you know, control the recruitment and how the club wants to recruit, who they're going to recruit. You have to manage with the first team and the coaches and style of play, you know, your game model. So, you know, it's, it, there's so many different, and sorry, at Sundowns, you know, our ladies ladies team is very successful. Um, you know, arguably the best team in, in Africa. So we, there's so many different components to that, it's, it's too much for one person to to handle. Um, and Sundowns is a big club, so every every specific department needs you know very you know appropriate detail. Um, so that's where you know I I become um, a role player in is because there there's so many things that Fleming has to do that he can't get to everything. Um, you know, like for example, um, we obviously looking to make partnerships with clubs, and you know develop talent throughout South Africa. You know, not just Gauteng and developing those partnerships and where to do it, how to do it. So, so like, you know, for example, that's one of the things that I'm kind of doing at the moment. And then, you know, developing a strategy for the club, you know, making sure that the the, the, the club will, or more molding, molding, assisting the club in, you know, any way that I can in 
how we want to be, you know, for the next five, 10 years, you know, to stay modern, um, bringing a, a level of data to the, to the recruitment team, and then also in assessing players. So my, my, my history is, you know, with Stellenbosch Football Club. I did the recruitment there for, you know, I was at the club for half a decade. So, you know, my title there was the head of technical analysis, but I am very data-driven. Um, I focus, you know, similar to how you would see in, you know, Brentford, Brighton, you know, um, the models that they use. And, you know, I've now tried to bring that to, to Sundowns and, you know, develop the, the, the recruitment team as well. Um, so that, you know, in future, when we are looking for players, it's not just the eye test, it's also a lot of, a lot of you know, dates that will go in, into that. Now, Ryan, you spoke about being data-driven, um, and I, I, I like that form because, as we spoke about earlier, there is more to just uh, the players, the managers. How does your data-driven perspective impact your manager, Rulani Mokwena, and his players? What do you provide him with that gives you guys the edge over the competition? So, look, when it comes to I mean, data, um, I get I get quite uh, frustrated because obviously it's a very nuanced um, aspect in football at the moment, um, and everyone you know tries to claim that they they into data and everything. And I say there's levels, you know, just just like there's levels to coaching and there's levels to you know whatever there is, um, there's levels to data, and you know you don't know what you don't know. That's that's definitely one thing that I've learned when it comes to data. You know, I might you know I might meet. Um, you know, Billy Bean, for example, in Moneyball, and then you know, there's something that you learn there that you that you never even expected. You know, you never never even crossed your mind. So data, you can you can manipulate it and you can control it exactly how you want to. And if you you know, I'm Steve Compella, the you know one of the coaches at the club. He has the famous saying of you know, statistics is like a, a bikini. You know, it shows a lot but not everything. Which, as I say, if you don't know, you you know you don't know. So. If you're looking at ball position and you're looking at just passes, then yes, it's not going to show you everything. But in modern football, um, and with like stats bomb, Y Scout, Instat, which fortunately at Sundowns we have, you know, all three, um, you get access to to event data. So it's it's at event level. So what happens is, for example, let's just say the kickoff. The kickoff is taken, you know, it'll say player play X. Um, we can say Ryan Giggs. Um he, he took the, the kickoff and he used his left foot and the ball went five meters and it went this angle. It went from X location to y lo or the X and Y location where it started, where it finished. And then once you have all of those events and you have it for every game in every season, you know, and in every league, you now all of a sudden have a very big picture because you have at the end of the season, you have over a billion data points because every action ultimately is an event. Um, and then you must also remember it's also not just about the pass; it's about the receiver as well. So you, you you get you know you get progressive passes, progressive carriers, progressive receivers. You know, so you can you can build models and and then you can profile players. You know, very specifically where are they going to receive, and then what impact do they have on the match? So it's not just about putting it across; is the cross put into the right location? You know, where did the cross finish? Um, how long was the player on the ball? before he made the cross? Um, how many meters has that player gained when he's in possession? You know, how many line-breaking passes did he make? How many players did he leave you know, behind when he received the ball compared to where he finished with the ball? And as I say, once you start doing that for every event, you know, you get a very clear picture of who the best players are. You know, it's 
Um, Statsbomb do have a, a very cool statistic. It's called on-ball value, where they actually create a probability of whether you will increase or decrease the team's likelihood of scoring based on what you did. So if you pass the ball sideways instead of forward, or you'll actually increase or decrease. And then you also get a kind of a statistic, you know, for every match that'll say you increase the team's chance of scoring by 20%, for example. So, and then you have that again for every single event. So you can then create the heat maps for it. And Coach Rulani, he's, he's, he's very modern. He's very intelligent. Um, he, he loves football. He watches a lot of football. He he doesn't sleep too much. He, he really, really does. You know, he analyzes every game, whether it's in Japan or, or Germany or whatever. Um, and he, he wants all information to for him to make the best decisions. Um, that, so my role is just to assist him in being able to make those decisions. Um, so, for example, you know, this is something that probably no club in South Africa can do. But we have um, statistics which, which value your, your ability to play within one second. So if you have the ball within one second or under one second, then how good are you at doing that? Because we want to move the ball very fast. So we can statistically see which players are best at that. And that is, you know, that's one thing that I've, I've brought to the club and, and Rulani is interested in, you know, how many meters can we make with, within the duration of the time is on the ball of, of that, that player. So um, it's just helping the coach make informed decisions. That, that's all I try to do. You, you speak about Rulani. You speak about him being a modern coach. You speak about him being a poor sleeper because he's so dedicated to the game. Okay. What would you say besides that? What are his greatest attributes uh, as a manager that he's getting such great performances out of the players? So I would, I would say the first thing is he he's also very open. So... You know, if Fleming comes to him and gives him an idea, he he listens. If I want to speak to him, he listens. If, you know, Coach Wendell has an idea, he'll listen. You know, he takes various input, Um, you know, and then he can take in so much information and then make informed decisions. You know, a coach will never, ever always make, the you know, the correct decision because you never know what the correct decision is. But what you try to do is you make, you make decisions that best, that you believe will best influence the club. And... That is what he's very good at. Is he he wants all the information. He wants, you know, whether it's the sports science, whether it's, you know, the technical data, whether it's um the analyst's opinion, whether it's, you know, um he wants to see the drone footage specifically on the shape. He wants to watch the opponent, he wants to know everything. For example, we play Atlanta Paris tomorrow. He wants to know everything that they do and how they do it and why they do it. So to be honest, his dedication is his is his, his biggest strength. Is he wants all the information and then he and he wants to watch and he wants to be you know um, as informed as he can be. He wants to he, he wants to win, and he understands that to win you know you have to be dedicated. And you know um, aside from that, he is very. So I've only worked with two coaches, head coaches, Rulani and Coach Steve Barker at Stellenbosch. Um, very different, but also quite similar in the, the sense where they, they want to understand the humans that they work with. So they, um, for example, um, I have a close relationship with my father. And one of the first things that Julani came and spoke to me about was, you know, when he can meet him, you know, if we can, if we can have a bride, you know, he wants to, he wants to engage with his, with, 
the people that he works with closely. He wants to know what's important to you, how you tick. So, and I mean, that's also with the players. Um, so he's very, he wants relationships and, and that's also a very um, key players will work, you know, for a coach that, that wants to, to understand them. I, I think those are, those are beautiful attributes to know that there's the psychological aspect and, and, and the head coach really wants to get to know the human as well as the player, as well as the coaching staff. That Those are such lovely attributes. And coming back to you and your role, does your role have an umbrella of the entire structure or only just the first team, right? Um, so no, um, my, my role is inclusive of all the teams, um, the women, the youth, the recruitment team, the analysis team, first team. Um, so the way the way we kind of look at it is, is a wheel. And then you have a lot of spires, you know, that, that, that come out of the wheel. <clears throat> and then each, but each one is important in keeping the structure of, of the team. So, you know, if one breaks, then that part of the wheel is, you know, it's gonna it's gonna falter. So um for us, we we treat you know every every single department, and we we kind of manage you know every department. They are heads of their departments, and then we just aim to you know assist them in, in in developing what we what we really want, and then also being a link between the various departments because there are so many. It's very easy to fall through the cracks and not really have you know close contact. Where we want to, for example, the recruitment team and the youth academy, they have to work together, you know, and it's very easy to then just get stuck in a silo and then you only work within your own department and you don't really interact with everyone else. And our role is kind of to, we want the guys at the recruitment team to to know the coaches at the youth team because they must also know which players to look for, um, you know what the coaches want and you know what the woman what the women's team wants. So you we kind of try to bridge the gap between the various departments and and so I'm very much for youth football. I think South African football really needs a a revolution when it comes to to youth development and and how the country runs its youth academies because at the moment it's it's very you know laissez faire. Safa, to be honest, don't do do too much you know on the ground you know to assist. Um. So yeah, I'm very you know youth-driven and, and I want to uplift South African football to get us back to a standard where we have players in the Premier League and, and La Liga and because one one big one, one key thing is for Sundowns to, to be the best club in Africa there is a five foreign rule so you can't just go buy you know, so many players you need your, your local players to be you know, as good as they can be so you also they need to develop that so you need to to make sure that the, the South African talent that you have is of you know, the standard that is the best in Africa. And it's very difficult when there isn't new structures because then you, you know, you're relying on other teams, which is not really you know, what we want to do at, at Sundowns. We want to rely on ourselves. You know, if a team does develop a player and he is very good and he's interesting to us, then we will, yes, go, go purchase someone. But, you know, Cassius Mayer-Lula is a, is a good example. He's, you know, he scored nine goals this season already. And he's, you know, he started like a house on fire. And at 21 years old through the academy, you know, you don't have to go buy him. And he's local. He's young. You can have him for the next, you know, 12 years. So we need more of those types of players that come in from a young age and, 
you know, that they they understand the philosophy of the club because they've been, you know, brought up through it. They they completely are embedded into the infrastructure of the club. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of diplomas that we work with. And, you know, one of my big passion projects at the moment is, is, is specifically the youth, the youth academy. Before I hand over to Zane, um, Ryan, um, my next question is focused around your style of play, your pattern. Because if you looked at the current World Cup that was uh, that has just left us, which is, I think, one of the best World Cups we've had in my lifetime, a lot of the teams that were very successful didn't have that much possession of the ball. Okay, One of the teams that, that had most possession <coughs> quite early, Spain. I, I think they're still passing it around in Qatar, if I'm mistaken. That, that's how much they pass this ball around. But when we look at a style of play, so what could you say to me is Sundown's trademark style of play? Because I'll give you an example. When I was at Rangers, our style of play was three at the back, kick in the channels, cross the ball, George scores. Simple. It had no creativity, nothing. Break down sundown style of play for us. Um, without giving away any secrets, uh, um, we look, we are a possession dominant team, naturally. You know, um, possession is a is a very interesting statistic as well. So so I don't look at it in percentages. You know, you, you break it down in a couple of different phases. So one being how long in a game do you have the ball? So yes, a match is 90 minutes. So when people look at it and say you've had 60% possession, it's not necessarily meaning that you've had 60% of the 90. Because as you saw at the World Cup, you know, they've started now including in the no contest, you know, the no contest possession. So ball in play and ball in control is, is very important. And what you'll find is teams that want to play, you know, like Spain, more possession-based, they they will have large amounts of ball in playtime. So their ball in playtime will be very high. Where teams that play long balls, Naturally, they will, you know, the ball goes out a lot more often. There's a lot more fouls. And so their ball in playtime is a lot less. And a, a theory that I developed is based on the, the, the mathematical philosophy of variable change. So there's kind of three ways. There's different ways you can play football, you know, but there's three kind of overarching philosophies. And that's obviously long ball. You know, then there's the counter-attacking and then it's possession-based. You know, and the way you do them can, can differ, but... That's kind of the three overarching things. And then mathematically, it also makes sense. You know, there's a reason why Burnley, for example, will play long ball football because if they play Man City and they try to keep possession against them, they don't have the individual quality to beat them. So if they want to beat them, they have to create a lot more 50-50s because the individual duels actually are 70-30. So the way you beat them is you're now trying to create more 50-50. So you kick it long, you know, it's, it's in the air. Now it's you versus me. It's a 50-50. Then it's a second ball. It's a 50-50. So now the game becomes a lot more competitive when it shouldn't be. You know, you shouldn't be as good as the other team. And then, you know, your, your counter-attacking teams generally, you know, they have a few better players than the opponent, but maybe not enough. So that's similar to France. France are very good at that. And where where that is very important is you have to, as a, as a person in football, you have to not let your ego get the best of you. So you have to understand you have to look at their team, you know, like France do often, and they they say, listen, we probably have six players that are better than their their players, but then there's maybe five that are competitive, and we can't just dominate the ball against them because they're also good players. So you can't just do that. And then 
what you do with 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 counterattack for, for your transitions is you're trying to create chaos because you trust because you have you know the the, the six individuals and if you develop your structure you know in such a way that you can play on counterattack because your counterattack chances that you create will always be the best ones you know counterattacking chances are generally your one-on-ones you know it's, it's cutbacks it's it's very good high level chances you know there's a lot of probability in scoring goals from those types of so you want to create those <clears throat> and then there's your possession you know um so like for example if Mamlodi Sundowns play against Maritzburg we expect to have 70% possession that's there's nothing we can do to to stop you know we can't just kick the ball back so you know they will play a low block and we're going to have to break it down and then you have to find different ways to to break it down and <clears throat> that's where you have to learn how to create chaos so you know you get into position so there's a control phase there's a progression phase and once you get into the creative phase you know you want players to 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 play um creative passes because there's twofold once you play a creative pass you you obviously increase your chance of scoring because you you know you're trying something if it lands on the on the striker's foot or whatever you know you created the chance and two, you actually don't mind losing the ball there. So if you try the pass and you're in the final third, worst case scenario, you lose it, but you lose it in front of, of a defender. And what what the one thing is the defender, he hasn't had the opportunity to look up. So a defender is obviously defending, he's focused on the on the at, at the player with the ball, or maybe he's you know screening for the opposition. But once he gets the ball back, so now we've tried to play a pass, the defender has the ball. He hasn't had the opportunity to know where his players are. So he still has to get his head up and look. So that's where counter-pressing is very important. So now this player, as he wants to look up, your players are already in position to counter-press because you've progressed to the final third and you have a lot of players in the final third and that defender hasn't, you know, he hasn't scanned. So then you can counter-press and then all of a sudden you've created a counter-attack in the final third. So that's, that's kind of the philosophy in general, to not, you know, to not obviously explain how we do it, but that's what you're trying to do. You want to get to the final third, you want to try things, and then you counter press to win the ball back in the final third, and then you can create, you know, good chances from that because players are out of position then, and, you know. Um, so your style of play, it's, it's definitely something, and that's also one thing that I, I, I do enjoy is what matters. So, for example, possession, it has a plateau. So there's a there's a level the graph kind of goes and then it declines again. So if you have too much, that's a bad thing. If you have too little, that's a bad thing. You know, there's a happy medium kind of the way to operate. And but then it's also very interesting is but you do want to keep the ball for long phases. So if you keep the ball, you don't want to keep it for short stints. You want to keep it for long, but not too many times. So that is also a very interesting concept that that you know is is with with the statistics it's coming into football um how long do you want to keep the ball and how often so that's why sometimes as i say losing the ball is not a bad thing just where you lose it is is, is important because when you lose it if you counter press very well that will be your best way of creating chances i think that's a fantastic breakdown and, and great like explanation of the philosophy without giving it away but also about i feel cheated you... zane i feel cheated <laughs> Honestly, I feel cheated. If I, you know what, Zane, I'm listening to Ryan and I'm thinking back to when oh. we played under Gordon. His, his uh, analysis was with the pitch 
it's Friday night, where six studs. Three points, you know. Did you win the league? <laughs> Did you win the league? We won the league with a Jurassic style of football. Zane. That's so okay. you mentioned how you were doing what Ryan were. said you were getting the one-on-ones because then it's 70-30. Oh, man. I, I, I love what you've just said. You know, you're developing not just footballers, educated footballers. That's brilliant. Over to you, Zane. Go ahead, sir. No, that's all good. That's all good. I, I, I'm sort of going to deviate from the question I had because you've got me interested in this now, Ryan. But as somebody who works in analysis... What is the stat you look at first? Please don't be cheeky and tell me the score. Um, but what is the one that interests you the most? And secondly, as like laymen like myself who watch football, what should we be looking out for? Because I know we always like to talk about XG. What's the XG? <laughs> and then we all sound smarter than we really are. But what is the stat you look out for? And what is the one as consumers of the game, as laymen, we should be looking at? So personally, mine is, I have access to information. Unfortunately, as a consumer, you probably wouldn't. Um, but speed of the ball. So in if you can move the ball faster than 2.6 meters per second, you increase your chance of winning drastically. So the ball moving fast is very important in football. And that that would be, I want to know exactly how fast teams move the ball. So that would be the first thing that I look at, you know, is... What, what, do, and how do they move it? You know, is it from longer balls or is it, but specifically, how quick does the ball move? Um, because you, whether you're dribbling or whether you're carrying it or whether you're passing it, there's different ways to do it. But I want to know how quickly you do it because I know if you're moving the ball quickly, then you're a good team. Um, you can, you can almost make a log table on, on ball speed and it will almost perfectly mimic a expected points table. It is, it is a very good indication. So the, the funny thing when you speak about expected goals, expected goals is, is a, it's a very good statistic. Um, but what you have to understand is how. So it's not just now saying, okay, the expected goals was two and the other team was one. It, how was it two? You know, how did they get, what, what type of chances did they create? Was it 30 long shots or was it three, you know, one-on-ones? Or, you know, so you have to, you have to understand how it happens, which is more important to me. So, if, for example, if I'm looking for a striker, if I'm trying to sign a striker, you know, often when you ask people, you know, the, as you say, the cheeky comments is people always look for goals. But I don't look for goals. Goals isn't actually something that I look for. Goals are a consequence of what you do, you know, throughout the game. So, for me, what is more important is, one, do you get chances? It's the first thing I look at. And players that get chances will naturally score. Um you know, it's, that's just a common, you know. And then what's your conversion rate over a long period of time? So if you're converting chances at a 30% ratio over five seasons, then I know you can finish. You know, so for example, Lionel Messi, you know, probably the greatest footballer ever, he he converts at 27%. That's not particularly high. But what he's very effective at is he gets twice as many chances as an average player. So that's what he's very good at. And then you get certain players that will get a lot less chances, but they will convert maybe at 40%. You know, so you have to understand, you know, that, that part of, of the kind of the, the way things happen is actually more important than the actual final event. So like Darwin Nunes, I know is a, is a good topic of conversation is he converts, you know, previously at a low rate, but he gets a lot of chances. 
So he will naturally score goals at the end of the season, but he might be the meme, you know, after the game because because he will miss a couple, you know, because he's not going to score hat-tricks every game. But he will score goals and, you know, that's, you know, that's what the club will need at that, you know, in that player. You know, you might have a Salah who will convert at a higher rate, but you'll get a lot less chances. So you want different types of players as well. You know, you don't want three players that are all identical. You want, you know, players to also combine. And when you're creating a team, you look at all of those things. So you say, what type of chances does this player create? Because you want the striker that's going to, he wants these type of chances. So this guy has to create those type of chances. And then where does he create those type of chances? And then you have to look at, you know, which midfielder is best at getting the ball to that position where the guy can create those type of chances so that the guy can score those you know, type of chances. So, but all of that comes down to ball speed. If the ball moves too slow, you can't break down any team. Um, if a player receives it and, you know, they often say in the pocket or whatever, all that's happened is you move the ball faster than the team could get into position. You know, so obviously the compactness that a team wants to have, you've moved it so fast that the player hasn't been able to get compact yet. So now he has an extra second to make a decision. And that's why Kevin De Bruyne gets to receive and turn, you know, more regularly than any player in the Premier League. It's just, because City moved the ball so fast that he gets to receive, turn, get his head up and play the delivery, you know. So he doesn't necessarily move the ball very quickly, but Bernardo Silva does, Kundogan does, Rodri does, Cancelo does. And all of them have to move it very fast so that the Bruyne gets an extra second on the ball. And, and that's why I say ball speed is, is the most important. I look at that Sundown squad and where it's maybe different to some of the other top African teams with recruitment is that it strikes me that there are three South Americans in the squad. You have Gaston Serino from Uruguay, Marcelo Alanda from uh, Chile, you have um, Erwin Saavedra from Bolivia. How is it that Sundowns have come to find South American plays so important to what you do? What are the stats that are being seen there? Why is South America so fertile? Um, for for recruitment, is that something you have some insight on? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, I also I brought Junior Mendieta to to Stellenbosch as well. Um, so the South American market is look in Africa. We like football. In South America, they love football. Um, you know that that is their that is their their lifeblood. Um, but there's a couple of reasons. So one is the infrastructure is also not very, you know, not very developed. So the fields aren't necessarily very good, you know, which is similar to, in, you know, in Africa. Um, you know, the weather conditions are quite similar. You know, one day it can be hot, the next day it can be raining. You know, so the adaptability comes quite easy. It's easy for them to, to adapt to our climate and our way of living. Um, and then also they are very technical footballers. So in South Africa, and every region kind of has a difference. So like Senegal, for example, you're not going to expect to find very technical players, but what you will find is very physical players, not just in strength, but in, you know, athletic ability. They're very quick. They, you know, think of like Saidi Oman, you know, although he is also quite technical, but that is the type of Senegalese player you get with Diaras and, you know, those type of players. Where in South Africa, we also quite similar. We have athletic players, not very technical players. So that's why when we do have a technical play, he stands out, you know, about the race, like a tech or more said, um, because it's not normal for us. We don't naturally produce those type of players. Where in South America, that is their natural type of player. They don't necessarily have physical players. Um, so to, to create a balanced team, 
South American players assist us because not everyone, not everyone is a, you know, is a runner. You need some people to run, you know, and some people to be physical. But then you also need the players that can move the ball and you know, you know, play one touch and receive on the turn and you know have a little bit of a, a different type of flair. South Africans have flair, but South Americans have a different type of you know a different type of flair, and that's where. You create a bit more balance with South Americans. Um, Europeans play in a very structured way, which is not really common to South African football. Um, we don't really have structure yet, and that can be looked at from grassroots level. You know, you can can look at when the when players are playing in a township and using a a dustbin as the goal. And, you know, it's very unstructured. It's just how we develop. And in Europe, it's very opposite. It's very structured. So if you bring a European player, here, you have to be cautious, just in the sense that. They might rely on structure, you know. They might need structure to perform the way they do. Um, it's not, 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 not. It's not a perfect science. You know, there's obviously very, very good footballers in Europe. It's just if you only allowed five foreign spaces, what's your risk to reward? You know, what's the? You don't want to make mistakes with those players. And South America generally, you you at least get players that will fit in quite comfortably. Brian, you know, um, your team is flourishing. That's the only way I can describe it. They are the dominant force in South Africa. They have been, they continue to be. But looking at this current season, you know, having spoken to people like Kevin Johnson, Gavin Hunt, who are in different teams from someone looking from the outside like Kevin Hunt, who do you guys perceive as your greatest threat this season? Probably Orlando Pirates. Um, obviously, I'll be playing them tomorrow, which does make it... Uh... You know, a big game for us, but Orlando Pirates are coming a lot more modern in the way they do things as well. Um, so you know, Stellenbosch was obviously the first club to to get data, which was obviously you know as a result of myself. Um, but now you know, Pirates have Cape Town City have got on board. You know, teams are are beginning to catch up, um, and their particular skill is they're a well coached team, but their defenders are very very good. Um, I'm a big admirer of Orlando Pirates' defense. Uh, I believe that you know they have four centre backs that will probably be in the top five in the country, you know, top six, top seven. But they have very, very effective defenders, so they they're difficult to beat. You know, everyone looks at they don't score too many goals, or whatever, but they don't concede too many either. You can win the game one 0 <laughs> So um, that's yeah. Um, I admire the team a lot, and I think that you know the more the coach gets, obviously now during the World Cup, I'm sure they were on the training ground a lot. So, yeah, they will be a big threat. To be honest, for me, they they are probably the you know the the, the second best team in South Africa at the moment. Um, and then to be honest, after that, I would say Cape Town City. Cape Town City are a very effective team. They have been for a long time. They miss a lot of chances at the moment. But that won't be consistent. So as soon as they do start scoring chances, then they're going to be, you know, putting teams to the sword because they actually create the highest XG in the league. They create the most chances. Um, so they just haven't converted at a, at a good rate yet. So I, yeah, Cape Town City is also a very, very good team, and they're very, very good players. I'm very impressed with, you know, their their structure and the way they run the club. Now, a lot in this conversation that we're having around the bra, you've spoken about your time at Stellenbosch. Um, who, having spoken to a couple of the players, Ryan Moon, and has told us about the facilities and the approach Stellenbosch has taken. 
How did your move come about from Stellenbosch to Sundowns? You know, you've gone from uh, possibly, I think, one of the best places to live in the world, mm. number one. And then you get recruited by a juggernaut like Sundowns. How did this come about? Um, so, look, what you know, what happened was, you know, I was at, I was at Stellenbosch for half a decade. Very, very, you know, enjoyed my time there. Um, the facilities are, you know, very, very good. Um, I would probably say that it could be the best in the country. Um, and, you know, the Stellenbosch Academy of Sport that is there, the culture that it brings with the South African Seven rugby team and the Olympic athletes that come, and there's a high-performance culture. You know, there's a there's a culture of, you know, being athletic and, and, and treating yourself like an athlete. So... I've also learned a lot from that. And then everything is very modern at Stellenbosch. So the, the, the club is very open to, and specifically the coach or the coaches, you know, coach Steve Parker and, and Wesley, and even, you know, Evangelos, the DDC coach. But it's very, you know, they they want the sports science. But like when I say the sports science, I mean it to the next level. Um, they want data before anyone, you know, Stellenbosch was the first club to get stats bomb in the country, you know, the second club in Africa behind Alakhli. Um so they want everything to be as modern as possible. So the club doesn't necessarily spend a lot of money, but when it does spend money, it has to be in innovative and, and new things because for the club to compete, it doesn't have the, the, the you know, the finances similar to, to some of the bigger teams. So it runs sustainably by being able to identify, you know, hidden gems, you know, like um, Sibongi Senium, Tetwa, Junior Mendietas. You know, the club doesn't, we don't have to buy those players. We get them, you know, for free or, you know, for a very limited amount of money. And, you know, no one really knows who they are. And then in, in a year's time, everyone's now saying that you should be in the Bafana team, you know? So, but that's not just Dennis, the sports science, all of that. So the, you know, you're completely correct in in you know, Stellenbosch and, and, and the club will be, you know, in three years time, it'll be better than where it is now. And in five years time, it'll be better. The club will always develop. It's, it's, a, it's a very good club to go to for young players. You know, I would recommend Stellenbosch because of the facilities, because of the culture, because, you know, you have access to things that you don't have access to at the Indian team. So, um, and then what happened was because I was so influential and so involved at Stellenbosch and in these in these innovative ideas, um, I actually did my UEFA B course with Rulani and I met Rulani um, through that. And then after speaking to him a bit, he was like, listen, you have to be at Sundowns. And um, he then put me, we had, a, we had a meeting at the end of last year with, you know, with the senior management. And I don't think they necessarily saw where I would fit in at the time, because obviously Fleming wasn't there yet. And then when the club um, got Fleming um, on board, then they actually told Fleming that because he asked for an assistant, he wanted an assistant. And then they said, Fleming, I think you should meet Ryan. And then he actually flew to to Cape Town. We had a we had a meeting. And then after that, they said, listen, we, we want you on board. And um, I did also speak to Kaiser Chiefs, um, you know, Kaiser Jr. I do appreciate Kaiser Jr. very much. Um, I was very close to going to Kaiser Chiefs. Um, but yeah, at the end, you know, the relationship with Fleming was very important there. Yeah. Um, then I spoke to to senior management, and you know, we obviously we got the deal. We got the deal done. We, um, I liked where the club wanted to be. You know, as you say, the juggernaut, 
the club wants to even improve on that, you know. So there's there's a the philosophy is it always has to be the best. So it's you know even if it is the best, it has to improve to become even better. Um, if you win by three points in the league, that's not enough. It wants to win by you know ten points. So it's the the high level winning mentality is definitely something that I, that I want to learn from. Because look, my ultimate goal is to to be the director of all at Chelsea. So you know, learning from people is the is the most important thing for my career right now. Um, so yeah, the move was it was it was a long and and <laughs> it was a a big decision to make because also I very much enjoyed my time at Stellenbosch. I have to say, Ryan, that is fantastic detail on how the move came about. And <clears throat> I love to hear that you want to be a director of football at Chelsea because that was a club that actually empowered an African and Michael Emanano, um mm. for the longest time when Roman Abramovich was in charge of the club, um, a key decision maker. We know that it was a rolling door. With managers, Roman Michael in many ways was the you know he was the uh, assistant, the brain or the decision maker. You know the closest to mm -hmm. Roman. So um, you know I think that's fantastic to have that goals. We see what Benny's doing. We see Colo who's been appointed um, at, at Wigan. Mm -hmm. I mean we're hoping that and part of our podcast is changing the narrative on. Um, how people do their recruitment and realizing there's a Pizzo Masamane, <laughs> you know, there's a Walid Radrugi before they get the, the jobs that they get to. So, you know, I, I certainly think it's fantastic that you have that ambition. But what's going to be cr crucial to that ambition is Sundown's continued success and also success in Africa. And I have to ask you, um, from the club's perspective, where does the CAF Champions League uh, fall in your list of priorities? Is it the top priority? Is it the, the Premier Soccer League? That is, how does it rank in in how you guys are are targeting things this season? To be honest, it is the only priority. Um, winning winning as Africa is seen as uh, you know a secondary target. It's expected rather than you know you're not trying to win the league. You have to win the league. If you don't win the league, there's there's consequences. <laughs> so, um, the Champions League is our it is to be honest. It is the only ambition of the club. Uh, I've learned that very quickly, and I learned that before. You know, during the during the interview process and speaking to senior management and stuff, all the questions are based around how can you assist us in winning the Champions League. No one, you know, no no one's asking about how to win the PSL. The club very much knows how to do that. Um, but yeah, the the priority every season is always Champions League, and unfortunately, we haven't been too successful in the Champions League recently. Um, you know, one semi-final since we won it in six or six years. Um, you know, a couple quarterfinals, you know, group stage exit. It's not very effective and it's not where the club wants to be. Um, so, yeah, that that is, we we want to be winning it. You know, we want to be seen as a Alakli, Real Madrid, you know, for, for the continent. Palmeiras, Flamengo, you know, they're dominating in South America at the moment. So, yeah, we, 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 that's that's the club's ambition. We want to be playing Club World Cup, you know, as often as we can be. Ryan, thank you for joining us on the pod. You have been incredible to listen to. And for those of you listening out there, please find us on our social media accounts at OTW underscore podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook and YouTube. You can search and find us there. Um, let us know how you think Sundowns will do in the Champions League this year. Is it the year that they bring 
the prized trophy, wrestle it away from that North African dominance and bring it down south. Um, let us know what you think. And um, let us know also what you think about when you watch football, what you think is the most important step and how Ryan might have changed what you look for. Um, Ryan, a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Um, we wish you all the best with Sundowns this season, domestically and in Africa. And uh, we certainly hope that you'll be on the show in some capacity before the season ends with um, one of your medals. Thank you very much. I've appreciated it. Yeah, it's been, been a pleasure speaking with you guys around the bri, as you say. Um, and definitely, we'll, we'll, we'll keep in contact. Yeah, I've very much enjoyed it.